God is good, amen? All the time and all the time. Thank y'all. Man, y'all did that very well. Appreciate that. Um, you can be opening your Bibles, Ephesians 6, obviously. Today we're going to get offensive, all right? So uh, I don't mean that I'm going to offend you, but we're going to talk about the Bible as an offensive weapon. But before that, uh, I want to just say it was amazing yesterday morning. Um, I, I was uh, uh, about five minutes late getting here for the, uh, for the breakfast for good reason. Um, well, not good reason, but for me, good reason. Uh, just as I was about to leave, and I would have been early, um, I got a text from my daughter who said that Bear, our, our uh, grandson, our youngest grandson, uh, woke up from his nap in Germany, and she said, what did you dream about? And he said, Nani and Mac. And so that, of course, meant that we had to do a FaceTime with them immediately. And uh, so we did. And so then I was a little bit late. But I, I, I confess to the men, I'm just going to confess to y'all. I didn't feel saved yesterday morning. I didn't feel saved the night before. I just, I was really just down and all that. And just one of those human things, you know, it happens. And I opened the door and I see 70 plus men or whatever in there. And my heart leapt with joy. And, and it just helped me to... Uh, to, to just brighten up and, uh, and, and to be, uh, God just used that. And it was a great time. Uh, we we uh, shared man stuff. We shared God man stuff. Uh, godly man stuff is what I meant to say. And it was a great time. And the food, of course, was knockout. It was, it was really good. And uh, so, I, listen, guys, as we do things in the future, you need to come. There were over 120 women at the last thing at, at around Christmas time for the women um, and so if you're not getting involved in some of these things, you're missing it. And hopefully uh, in the future, we might plan some stuff so men and women could actually do something together. That'd be awesome. Like, I don't know what's coming up next month. Oh, yeah, Valentine's. Okay, maybe we might. I don't know. Just hang in there. We'll, we'll, we'll let you know. So uh, I hope you know that. And, and Pastor Bobby kept talking about the women encouraging the men to go. It's actually, we call that a kitchen pass. You had to get permission from the wife to come. But anyway, may, maybe not. Maybe you don't relate to that at all. I don't know. But I heard a guy say that one time. Oh, I got to go get a kitchen pass. I thought it was kind of funny. But uh, anyhow, so Ephesians 6. We're in Ephesians 6. And, and uh, today, like I said, I want to talk about getting offensive. Let me... Uh, when I was a kid, at 13, I, I, I started uh, being a, a, a paper boy. And uh, if you're young in here, you don't know what that is because if you get a paper, it's delivered by usually a mailman or something. Now they stick it in a box. But, but back in, in my day, and I am that old, I rode a dinosaur at school. We, we, we got a bicycle filled a basket with newspapers, and I rode around the neighborhood. I mean, they would spend a massive amount of money to hire reporters, to do research, to buy paper and printing presses and print the stuff that you really needed to know and then depended on 12-year-old boys to get it to you. <laughs> well, I was one of those boys. And uh, so at 13, I got a paper route. I gave it up when I, after I graduated college is when I finally quit doing a paper route because it was the highest paid per hour job. Only It only could work an hour a day, so that was kind of rough. But it was, it was a great way. It paid gas for me to go back and forth to school, actually. My dad kept doing it after uh, I gave it up, just and they would give me the money, and that's how I paid gas to get back and forth to school. But, um, but, but anyway, one time in high school, a buddy of mine, uh, Trey Rhodes, uh, I refer to him as my best friend. Of course, my wife's my best friend. Of course, Jesus is a better friend than that. Uh, but But... 
third down the line, there's my buddy Trey. We've been best friends since we're about 15 years old. And he, I told you last week about it, he rode, he used to race motocross bikes. And uh, so I want to go with you. All right, so I had a 10-speed and a newspaper bike. So he'd ride my 10-speed and he'd ride around with me. And there was a fruit stand on my paper route. And I'd stop there and I'd buy an apple or something to eat. Well, as you know, I am never without a knife in my pocket. So he's, I want an orange. So he got an orange. And then he said, hey, can I hold your knife to cut it? I said, sure. So he put the orange in his hand and he cut it like this. And when he did, he went across his thumb and went, oh. And I said, well, dude, you idiot. Didn't you know that you were holding a knife? You know, and he cut deep into his thumb. It probably needed stitches, but hey, we're kids. We're guys. Uh, you know, I said, here, you know, took something, wrapped it up, so quit whining. But uh, it, it was a pretty deep cut. And he said, my knives are dull. I forgot your knives are sharp. See, my dad had taught me to keep a sharp knife. Boy Scouts say, you, you will more likely cut yourself with a dull knife because you've got to put more pressure with it. So a sharp knife... But then you don't put your thumb in the way. Come on, you know. So it was a good education process for him. But, and I just thought it was funny. He cut himself. But, but here's what the Bible says about itself. That it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can divide to the splitting of soul and spirit. Of joints and marrow. And is a discerner. Catch this. A discerner of the thoughts and intentions of your heart. That's Hebrews 4.12, in case you need to look that up. Make sure I said it right. I did, but you can look it up. Hebrews 4.12. The, the Bible is, is, it refers to itself in this text as a sword, but you could even refer to it as a, a surgeon's scalpel, and, and we'll get to that later, just in the sharpness of it, because I don't know about you, I, I've had eye surgery using lasers, but I would not have wanted the eye surgeon to operate on me with a meat cleaver. Right? And some people pick up the Bible like a club or a meat cleaver and just try to hack people to death. Instead of being precision with the Word of God. And the Bible wants us to be precise, but we'll come to that in a minute. So I want you to stand up with me just because. Just We're talking about the Word, reading from the Word. And I know it's not a long text uh, today, but, but I just thought we'd do it. Look there in verse 17, um, and, and I'm going to go ahead and warn you, I'm going to read some stuff today. My wife said, don't read to us, but I'm going to anyway. Um, here's what it says in, in verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's very short, and I'm pulling a phrase out of a long sentence. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Father God, we thank you. For your word. We thank you that in Psalm 138, you said you've exalted the word above your name. That, uh, Lord, there is nothing greater that heaven and earth have passed away, but your word will never pass away. And so, God, I pray that this day you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your word. That, Lord, you would write your word in our heart as you said you would. And the coming of the Holy Spirit, who inspired the word to be written, now lives in us to illuminate the word to us. And so, Lord, we pray that our lives would be ordered around your word instead of trying to order the word of God around our lives. And, Lord, that we would know you and that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, who is the living word of God, who's given us the written word of God, that we might know you. So, Lord, we thank you for what we read there. We trust it. We have depended. We have placed our, the dependence of our eternity on what you have told us. 
So if you lied to us, you're more cruel than any uh, being that we've ever known. But you are not cruel. You are a loving and, and merciful God. And we thank you that you have shown us the way to salvation. So Lord, this day, may we love your word and know your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you can be seated. Um, I, I, I did want to just read a couple of things about the word of God other people have said. Uh, and of course, I wanted to read this one because it's from a Scottish pastor uh, named Thomas Guthrie. And he said, the Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory of, inf- of infallible medicines, a mine of exhaustless wealth. It is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady, and a bomb for every womb. Rob us of our Bible, and our sky has lost its sun. A, a, an unknown source said this, These are words written by kings, by emperors, by princes, by poets, by sages, by philosophers, by fishermen, by statesmen, by men learned in the wisdom of Egypt, educated in the schools of Babylon, and trained at the feet of rabbis in Jerusalem. It was written by men in exile, in a desert, in a shepherd's tent, in green pastures, and beside still waters. Among its authors, we find tax gatherer, herdsmen, gatherers of sycamore fruit. We find poor men, rich men, statesmen, preachers, captains, legislators, judges, and exiles. The Bible is a library full of history, genealogy, ethnology, Law, ethics, prophecy, poetry, eloquence, medicine, sanitary science, political economy, and the perfect rule for personal and social life. And behind every word is the divine author, God himself. The Bible is the most unusual book ever given to men. And it is, it is it's not a book of human wisdom. It is because, as this unknown person said, Moses was trained in the halls of Egypt, which taught him that men came from little white worms that came out of the mud on the banks of the Nile every year when the Nile flooded. And the men, they had a, a, a sort of an evolution idea that men descended from these little white worms. And so when we open to Genesis 1-1, the very ver- first verse of Scripture written by the man who was taught that in those great halls of learning of Egypt wrote these words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that man was formed from the dust of the ground and God breathed into his mouth and man became a living soul. We don't see the world's wisdom even though men were educated in the world. Paul was educated in so many kinds of philosophy. He said, and I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. And him crucified. And so the Bible is is unique. It's unusual. Uh, It's unusual in this way. It reveals the flaws of its heroes. Uh, in, In any other literature, the hero is invincible and he's never in error. But in the Bible, we see men who totally messed up and God used them anyway. And it's an encouragement to us. I love what John Wesley said. I have to tell you this one. The Bible must have been written by God. Or good men, or bad men, or good angels, or bad angels. But bad men and bad angels would not have written it because it condemns bad men and bad angels. And good men and good angels would not deceive by lying about its authority and claiming that God wrote it. And so the Bible must have been written, as it claims to have been written, by God. Who, by His Holy Spirit, inspired men to record His words using the human instrument... To communicate his truth. You see, the Bible's inspired and divine or it's not. 
The Bible is absolute or it's obsolete. If any man can disprove one verse of Scripture, the whole falls apart. In other words, Paul said that if we uh, have uh, a belief in, in all of this only in this life, we're of all men most miserable. If the Bible can be proven wrong, we're idiots. We are foolish. And to the world, we are foolish. I remember as a teenager, people thought we were crazy. And so there was a little phrase that went around. said, I may be a nut, but I'm screwed on the right bolt. <laughs> Amen? And I know that's mixing a metaphor there, but I still like it. <laughs> you know, I, I know what the Bible says. And, 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 and by the way, listen, Christianity, you don't check your mind when you come in the door. Because the trust in the Bible is not a trust Here's where we get confused. I'm about to say it a certain way, and I want to make sure you hear what I'm saying. When we talk about faith, we kind of tend to think faith is a dependence on something unknown. And that's not true. It is trust in what has been revealed. But you cannot trust what has been revealed without faith. In other words, um, there are many facts of history. And sometimes people, I I see it today in political debate and, and things, people believe certain things that if you go and research where they got it from, what they believe is the exact opposite of what it was. Are you following me? And here's why they do that. The reason men believe what is the opposite of what happened is because they don't believe the reality of what happened. It contradicts their view and their worldview and their philosophy. And so instead of saying... Maybe I'm wrong, they say they're wrong. And since they're wrong, anything they do say or that event or that person, whatever, then I can't accept it. A smart man, a a wise person, listens to everything and discerns what is true and places faith in that. And so I can intellectually prove to you the Bible is written by, through the inspiration of God, by the agency of men... And we'll go over some things the Bible is, but that it is perfect, it's inspired, it's infallible, it is inerrant, it is authoritative, and it's a lot more than that, and I'll have to do that fast today, but it's written down on the screen so you can write it while I'm talking. Uh, But it is all those things, or it's nothing. But I could convince you it's all those things, and you still would reject it, because the Bible demands response from us. Last week, I, I used a phrase, and I want to remind you of it, that the Bible always gives us provision and responsibility. God provides, and then we have a responsibility. God has given us the truth of his word, and in fact, he's even sent the Holy Spirit to illuminate men to understand the word. But if you read the word, and God gives you understanding of it, and you reject it, that's on you. Because it takes faith to accept what God said, because as I said... The Word of God contradicts the way most of us live our lives, or at least parts of our lives. And so it means that we have to change, and we don't like to change. We don't want to do that. To ignore the Bible is to ignore the greatest physical thing on earth. And why did I say physical? Because I mean this this word itself. Now, listen, I, I, I tell you all, I come from a family of drunk Irish Catholics. And on that side of my family... Um, I, I remember a particular aunt, and she wouldn't put anything on top of her Bible because this is God's Word. Uh, in, in fact, um, 
And of course, liberals always accuse us of worshiping the Bible. We don't. We worship the God of the Bible. But um, uh, my son-in-law, who is in Germany today, he told us that he knew that his grandmother had kind of gone to a state of Alzheimer's where she really had, because she's in that process. And he said, because she would never write in her Bible. Some people don't want to take notes or put, write in their Bible. And, and, and guess what? This, this book I'm holding in my hand is leather, paper, and ink. I believe in leather Bibles. If Bible don't bend, don't buy it. But anyway, um, it's just leather, paper, and ink. It's just a book. But the message of this book, the contents of the book, is supernatural and divine. So it's not this physical book. It is the message of the book. But to ignore this physical book is to ignore the greatest physical thing God put on the earth for us. And so my son-in-law was telling me he knew his grandmother had lost it because she never would write in her Bible. And he's in Germany now. And she said, where are you going? He said, where's your Bible? She handed him his Bible. And he turned it to the back. And he started circling the country where they're going to wind up. Because it's in the back of the Bible in the maps part. Some people think the maps are inspired too. But anyway... He circled it and said, that's where I'm going to go, Grandma. And she went, well, that's wonderful. (laughs) And said, since she didn't get upset, he wrote in her Bible. He knew she had really lost it. But people worship this physical book. I have a buddy who's in the Navy, or was in the Navy, retired now, decorated, bronze star, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and the Pentagon sent him to Gitmo back in the day when it was, you know, oh no, the soldiers are abusing prisoners, blah, 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 blah. Well, they sent him to Gitmo to make sure things were copacetic. And, uh, and so when he got there, sure enough, some of the guards were, were tr- mistreating in, in some ways, I guess. I, I don't know the details, but he, let me just give you what he said because I'm, I'm going to say this wrong and I don't want to say it wrong. But in Islam, and here's Kareem, and he can say that, the Quran itself is holy. So therefore, you can't touch it with human hands. You better not write in it. You better not do several things to it. He could explain it better. And you better not hold it below your waist. And so when the prisoners would want their Quran, the guys would just grab it, pick it up, carry it, swing it, throw it at them, whatever. And he said, you don't understand even though you don't believe it, we have to respect them. And so you better put on gloves, pick it up, hold it high, and hand it to them. Because there are prisoners. Now you can agree with that or not. We're talking government actions for a captured prisoner of war. And we are not cruel in doing that. Okay? So don't, don't come up and go, well, I don't care what they thought. I, I don't either. But my point being, that's what you have to do. But look at that error. They're worshiping a book. Rather than, well, they're worshiping the God of that book who is Satan. But the God of our book is God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit inspires. So let me just head into this outline. First of all, I want you to see the source of this sword. The Bible here says that it is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And there's two things about this. First of all, the sword that Paul's referring to is the sword that Roman soldier always had at hand. Just like I always got a pocket knife on me, they always had this sword. And it could be as short as six inches, uh, but a lot of times they carried a dagger, a, a smaller sword on this side in case they lost their sword or spear in battle. It was the last 
defense. But they carried their sword on their right hand because they had that shield on the left hand. And they would draw that sword with their right hand. So it had to be kind of short because you got to get it out of the sheath on the same side. If you cross it, you can pull out a longer sword. But you had to pull this. So it was anywhere from about 12 to up to maybe 20 inches, 18 inches, about two inches wide, and it was sharp on both sides, so it would cut coming and going. You with me? All right, so that's the physical idea of the sword. But the sword of the Spirit is spiritual in nature. When we read this about it is, uh, the, 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 it is uh, the sword of the Spirit, we, and I always have, assume that means the sword of the Holy Spirit. And in a sense, that is true, but it's referring to its nature rather than its source. In other words, this, this physical book is not a physical weapon. It's a spiritual weapon. Over in Corinthians, it says the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. Right? Right? Okay, good. Just make sure. And, and so, that is what this verse is referring to. That the, the, the power of this weapon is a spiritual power. And that's in 2 Corinthians 10, in case you want to check up on that. But then the scripture, it, it says the nature of it is also that it is scripture. Uh, the, the claim here is that we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In John 1, 1, we find out Jesus is the word of God. Is that contradictory? No, Jesus is the living word of God. And the scripture is the written word of God that testifies about the living word. In Hebrews 1. God, many times in many places, spoke through his prophets. And that's recorded for us. In these last days, has spoken through his son, who sat down. Songwriter named Michael Card wrote a song called The Final Word. Jesus is the final word. Jesus is the one that all scripture points to. And so, this word is the very words of God that he wants us to have. Okay, I'm just making sure you're with me there. Now I want you to see the character of the sword, the word of God. First of all, it claims God is its author. And I'm going to go through this kind of fast. I put them on the board, so if you like to take notes. But I'm going to give you the, uh, uh, the, the verse that tells us that. 2 Timothy 3.16 and also 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. 2 Timothy 3.16. There are a lot of good 3.16s in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that the Bible is inspired by God. It is the very word of God. Second Tim, Peter chapter 1, verse 20 21 tells the same thing. That the Bible is the word of God. That it, was, that it was authored by God. That he is the author of this book. That this was not written by the wisdom of men, but by the wisdom of God. And I've given you a couple examples of why we know that. Because a man wouldn't write what's in this book. Number one, a man wouldn't know what was in this book. Do you understand, and in the book of Job, Job said, I'm speaking things that I don't understand. They're too high for me, he said. In the Bible is how he said it. There are things revealed in, in the wisdom books, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, that modern science has taken centuries to figure out, but were written in the Word of God. You know, because we believe in God, and they say we're old-fashioned, and I am, because I believe a book from... 5,000 years ago, but it's still as relevant as today's news. Did you know, and so they call us flat earthers. Oh, you bunch of ignorant flat earthers. Do you know the Bible says that God sits above the circle 
of the earth. And the word circle is sphere, not just a flat two-dimensional circle. It means a three-dimensional sphere, that word used. Did you know the Bible says that the wind has, has a flow to it? That there is weight in the air? That the air has weight? All this is revealed in the wisdom book. The Bible says in those wisdom books that there are streams in the ocean. We didn't know that for a long time until we sailed from England to America and back and found out, hmm, it was quicker going one way than the other. Because coming, they were, go- they were bucking against the Gulf Stream and going back, it was helping them get there. And that there are actual streams in the ocean. And over and over and over, and those are just a couple of examples, that the Bible reveals things to us that we didn't understand or figure out till a lot later, yet men said it without even knowing what they say. To me, one of the best examples in the book of Colossians, it says that this world was created by the power of the word, Jesus' word, and that by Jesus' word it is held together. And that invisible things are held together by the power of his word. What invisible things? Well, everything's made up of atoms. And every atom and its nucleus have light-charged particles. And light charges repel one another. And so by nature, by the laws of physics that we know, and by the way, water... We don't get either. It does not act according to the laws of physics. Light, does. we don't even know what light is. And in Genesis 1, light was created before the sun. You tell me, explain that one to me. But at the center of the atom are light charges. And by nature, an atom ought to explode. But it took us till the 1940s to figure out how to split one of those suckers. By his word, all things are held together. And then in Peter, it says there's coming a day when he's going to release that. And the firmaments and all of creation will melt with a great fervent heat. In other words, every created thing is going to come apart in one giant atomic explosion. And he's going to make it all brand new. That's going to be after the millennium, so don't sweat it. You've got a thousand years to get ready for that even after Jesus comes. So just chill, okay? But that's going to happen. Isn't that amazing? That's revealed in the Word of God. And then finally, we got a microscope powerfulness to, to see an atom and then to begin to study the nature of atoms and to figure all that out. Well, the Bible told us that. It told us that the atom ought to come apart, but it doesn't. And any kid that's had a science class in school, when it, well, it used to, they probably quit saying it, but when it comes to that part, it says, why doesn't an atom come apart? They call it cosmic glue. They don't know what it is. They don't know why it doesn't come apart because it doesn't make sense. Anyway, you can look some of that up. I get caught up in that stuff the bible is inerrant and infallible it claims that for itself in psalm 19 7 and 8 and proverbs 30 5 and 6 the bible claims it's inerrant and infallible and you've heard those words but here's what those words mean i want to just define them real quickly inerrant means that when god gave us this word what he spoke to men to write down has no error in it and that this book is infallible and that means what it tells you to do if you do it you won't mess up It won't lead you to error. Infallible means there's no uh, uh, command or, or, or encouragement in the Bible that will lead you to sin or to do something wrong or bad. And as long as you do what the Bible tells you to do, you'll always be right. You know it's always right to do right. It's never right to do wrong, and it's always wrong to do wrong. But it's never wrong to do right. And the Bible leads you to the right all the time. And I don't mean that as a physical location. I mean to the correct thing. And so the Bible is inerrant and infallible. Psalm 19 and Proverbs 30. It claims to be complete at the end of Revelation. Revelation 22. 
John said these words. If you add to this book, and of course he's talking about Revelation, but we believe it applies to the whole Bible. God will add to the curses found in this book. If you take away from this book, God will take away your name from, the word, from heaven. And so the Bible is complete. There's nothing needs to be added to it. If you're a preacher today, say, the Lord spoke to me and put that in quotes and it doesn't match up to the Bible. Don't believe him. That's wrong. The Bible is complete, and it's the only source. It is authoritative. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 2, and 2 Timothy 3, 17. The Bible is authoritative. In other words, it controls our life. The Bible tells us how to order our life, as I prayed. Not we try to order, uh, we try to get the Bible to wrap around our lives, and that's what people do. We call that proof texting. Did you know the Bible says that Judas went out and hanged himself? Did you know the Bible also says... To do, the, to do likewise. And the Bible also says, and what you find to do, do it quickly. Well, now I'm just proof texting. I'm taking phrases out of the Bible and jamming them together the way God didn't. And you'll find a lot of Christians, they'll pull a proof text out. And I hear some of these preachers, and what you got to be careful of, my kids hate to go in the movies with me. Because I'm always telling them what was the philosophy behind that movie. I, I think I told you all that. The last Disney movie I saw was Pocahontas. I left there fussing and cussing. I just, you're not cussing really, but Christian cussing, you know. Like, you know, God did not like that. Um, But anyway, (laughs) the kids were little. I wasn't cussing. Come on. Because every message has a background to it, right? And so when you hear a man giving you a text to prove his point, read that text in context. Because the context reveals the meaning more than just the words of that verse. Now, you need to know that verse. You need to understand it in context. But a lot of songs have been written misapplying the Word of God. A lot of teaching has been done misapplying the Word of God. And you have to be careful of that because the Bible, though, is authoritative. And the Bible is effective. Isaiah 55, 11, that it says, My word will accomplish that which I send it to do. Do you know that? The Bible will work whether you believe it or not. That's what I love. See, I could tell you, I don't believe that if I turn a little switch on the wall, the lights will come on. I cannot believe that, turn on the switch, and the lights will come on. And I can just stand there going, I don't believe it. I've seen people in church, now. I just don't see it that way. Well, I know you don't, it's because you're lost. You've got to have the spirit to understand the Bible, the Bible says. These things are spiritually discerned. If I can't understand what's in that book. I, I, man, I tremble every Sunday when I come up here to speak. This morning, it's like, God, I just, I, I can't do this. I don't know this. I can't, I'm not good enough for this. And if God doesn't speak through me, and, and I pray that he does every week, and there's some Sundays I walk out here feeling like he didn't, like, man, I messed up. That's not your fault. It's my fault. But you know what I found out? My best planned and written out sermons go, fall dead, stillborn off the pulpit. A lot of rotten eggs have hatched that I laid up here. I'm just telling you. But sometimes when I feel in despair and I'm asking God, oh God, bless my mess. Man, I have people kind of go, oh man, that was exactly what I needed. I'm going, what? I don't even know what you're talking about. Because it's not about me, it's about God's word, right? It's not about you, it's about God's word. I heard it illustrated this way, and I love it. It's, it's, since we're talking about a sword, I'm just going to pull out my knife again. Because it's just a pocket knife, it's nothing big. Just a cool looking knife. I always wipe it off because... I don't know if I've cut worms last with that or not. So anyway, um, let's say you attack me and I pull out this little pocket knife and I pull it out and I get ready to fight you. And you say, man, 
That little knife, that's not going to do anything. I don't even believe that's a real knife. I think it's probably dull. It can't cut me. Do I go, oh, oh, okay. You don't believe it's going to cut you. Obviously, it's not going to have any effect. No. I go, oh, yeah? (laughs) You're going to lay there and bleed? You're going to fight? You know what? You pull out scripture and people go, oh, that's archaic. I don't believe that. Why are they saying that? Because they don't want you to use it. I, def- I encourage you, go on YouTube if you've got a computer. Look up some sermon by Billy Graham and write down every time he references the Bible. Or he will quote the Bible 90, about between 70 to 90% of his sermon. He's quoting scripture. He's just stringing it together with a few phrases. He is quoting scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. And if you're wondering why his sermons were so powerful, is because he's quoting scripture over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And stringing it together with phrases that help it put it all together. And so when he'd preach, he preached the word of God. And the word says, I will not return void. And I've been there and seen thousands of people come to know Christ because the word went out. And it claims to be determinative. Look in John eight seventeen, just real quickly. Man, I love the Bible. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. The Bible determines what is truth. It has the testimony of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's three. And then when we believe it and apply it in our life, we make another witness. So the Bible sets up its own standard. Did you know what was a measure of a prophet? If what he said came true, then he's a prophet. If it didn't, they'd stone him. And every word of God that is written down are true words written uh, by men of God. Here's the product of the sword, and I need to hurry through this part, and it's fine to do so. It is the source, uh, the Bible is the source of truth. We don't know truth apart from the Bible. John 17, 17, Jesus said, thy word is truth. I, I quoted in my prayer, Psalm 138, 2, the Bible says, in the King James, it says, you've exalted your word above your name. Jesus said, before heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle which is, in English, we'd put a period and an apostrophe, but it's actually vowel markings in Hebrew. Not one of those, it's a little part of a letter. Not a little part of a letter will pass away. God's word is truth. It is the source of happiness in Proverbs 8.34 and Luke 11.28. In John, he said, if you know these things, happier you if you do them. It is the source of happiness. I remember as a kid... Uh, not really a kid kid, but as an older teenager, I was at home. My mom's going to the grocery store, and I went with her. My dad would always go. We just, that was kind of a family outing. We did like to eat. My, my grandmother's maiden name was Eaton, E-A-T-O-N. My brother-in-law said he was around our family five years before he knew that wasn't something we did. It was actually a name in our family. Uh, and I just remember being trouble, and I, I said, y'all go inside. I got to sit here and just. As a, as a kid, as a teenager, as a young man, and today, when I'm troubled, I go to the Word of God to find the answer. Uh, just about, I don't know, a year and a half ago, there was something in my life I could not overcome. I knew it was wrong. I knew the Bible said it was wrong, but I couldn't let go of it. 
And I said, okay. And I shut a door and locked it. And I said, I'm not leaving until I have it. And I looked up everywhere the Bible spoke about that issue. And I finally got to a place where I got my answer. And I said, thank you. And guess what? I had the power to deal with that problem. The Bible is effective and it give, leads us to happiness. It's the source of spiritual growth. First Peter 2.2, 2, desire the sincere milk of the word. You ought to desire the word of God because it helps you to grow. It's the source of power. In Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful. Back to my illustration of the guy that wants to do me bodily harm. Man, I can use the scripture and God will use that as a weapon. I, don't, I, I think I told you about this when I was a young pastor, and I started pastoring at 19, so I was a young pastor. Some young people in our church were graduating from the high school, local high school, and uh, this was out on John's Island, and back then it was mostly rural, and, uh, and there was only a two, the main road was two lanes, and people were parked up and down the main road, the high school's right on the main road, not, not enough parking places, they're having the graduation in, uh, on outside on the football field. And there was no place left to park. So I had to go way down the end of these cars. I'm walking down the road between the car and the, uh, the cars that are parked in the grass. And it's a ditch. And so it wasn't much room. And I'm almost having to go sideways down the road. Cars are coming by. And I get in front of this car. And there are three young men standing there. And I'm going by. And I'm wearing this. And nobody else is. I'm wearing a coat and tie, you know, for whatever reason. And I'm going by. And I get to the middle guy. And he goes, hey, man, you want some marijuana? I forget the word he used. I went, no. I said, I get high on Jesus. And when I said Jesus, these two went, took off running. This guy didn't have anywhere to go because I was right up on him. And he said, what? And I opened my coat and I had a New Testament. And I pulled out my New Testament. I said, I get high on Jesus. You ever heard about Jesus? He goes, yeah, 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 I heard about him. I said, is he in your life? No man, I said, well, you better get him in your life. That's all I said because I didn't want to get hit by a car. I kept walking. I was not in a safe place, but the word of God sent him running. I was five foot three and 85 pounds in most of my high school career. <laughs> I didn't start growing about 10th, 11th grade. And now I, you know, I go into this massive example of humanity you see in front of you. <laughs> Just kidding. I should have brought that Bible down. I'm going to get it for the next service. I had this big, thick, black King James Bible. You could choke a mule with that thing. And I carried that with me everywhere I went. And I had big guys threaten me. And I had even bigger guys that didn't even know the Lord say, leave him alone. You see that Bible he's carrying? That's a man of God. Leave him alone. Do you know that? You kids feel bullied in high school? Carry a Bible. They'll bully you more, but God will be with you. We used to tell young girls when they went on dates, carry their Bible and put it on the seat between them because it's hard for a boy to climb over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> it's a source of power of guidance. It tells us, thy word is a light into my, lamp into my feet and light into my path. Psalm 119, 105. It's a book of comfort. His word comforts us in Romans 15, 4. It is a book of perfection. His word is perfect. Second We've already said it, but 2 Timothy 3.16. And so how do we use it? Well, my time's way up, and we've got to do some more stuff. But it's a defensive weapon. I, I, I wanted to get a sword. I thought about that too late. I wanted to get a, a, a replica of one. We could have probably gotten one from Sandy, but again, I, I thought about it too late. So yesterday we were in antique stores. I was looking for one, couldn't find one, but, because I wanted to get the specific-looking one. 
But it's a defensive weapon. And how is it that? Because if Satan's coming at me with a blow, I can use the sword to parry the blow in, in terms of sword fighting. I can knock it away with using the sword itself as a defensive weapon. We see that with Jesus in the wilderness temptation. Satan came to him and offered him the same three things he offered Adam. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And in all three ways, Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And if the Son of God worked spiritual warfare, quoting the Bible to Satan, how much less should we do that? We should be doing the same thing. But it's also an offensive weapon. And that's what I really love. It is an offensive weapon. I told you, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even to the splitting asunder of joints of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But listen to verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The Bible orders our life, but it says you better listen to the word because God's watching. And it is an offensive weapon. But just as as Satan comes with specific uh, things that we have to use specific scriptures, Satan didn't say, hey, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus said, well, you know, the Bible says God is love. He said, no, the Bible says worship God alone and him only. So I'm not going to worship you. He used the very word that spoke to the problem. Now, what does it take to do that? Knowing the word. You can't do that if you don't know the word. You can't use it defensively or offensively if you don't know the word. And that's why I'm so glad Mark encourages us to memorize the word. Because we need to memorize the word. Amen? And I know what you're going to say because you say it. And I've heard you say it. I can't memorize. All right? Daniel, what's your phone number? Area code first. Dog, man. He memorized his phone number. Hey, what's your address, Brad? Oh, he memorized his address. He must be smart. No, he spent time there. He's had to write it a thousand times. He had to read it a thousand times. I was going to ask somebody the social security number, but I'm afraid of hackers. So I won't do that. (laughs) My son's father-in-law got hacked last week. They stole his checking account. And the first thing they bought was a subscription to Christian Mingle. (laughs) True story. It just just blew my mind. Anyway, that didn't have anything to do with this. You know what you'll memorize? What you spend time with. You know, we're kind of past the days of three channels. But I used to ask them, what is that show? And I'd make up a very popular show. And, you know, like, remember the Cosby show was popular? And they go, it comes on Thursday nights, African American. They go, Cosby show. Yeah, what night does that come on Monday? No, Thursday night. Yeah, I forget. What channel? Four, channel four. Yeah, 10 o'clock. No, it comes on at nine o'clock. How do you know that? And you don't know the reference your favorite verse of scripture you memorize what you care about what you know about if you spend time in the word you'll learn the word you'll know the word 
So I just want to steal that excuse away from you. If you have trouble memorizing, here's what you do. Every morning, what you want to memorize, read it out loud in a mirror five times. Before you go to bed, read it out loud in a mirror five times. Because then you're seeing it, you're hearing it, and you're saying it. And at the end of a week, you'll have it memorized without trying. Just a hint, just a tip. Well, what can you do with all this? It's a lot of stuff. What can you do with it? Well, first of all, pray the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word you read in the Bible. You cannot know the word of God without the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to, to know that and understand that. Then use the scripture to overcome temptation, both the negative temptation to do something you shouldn't do and the positive temptation to not do what you ought to do. You know, sometimes God tells you to witness or read the Bible or pray or do something and you don't want to do it. That's sin. But also, there's the negative that where you're being, you, you want to do something that you shouldn't do. And so, use the script to overcome temptation. And then memorize the word so you'll have that dagger to overcome the enemy every time he comes at you. It's got to be specific to be effective. A guy... Uh, well, I'll tell you, H.P. Barker told this story. So one day he looked out his window at a garden of flowers, and he saw a butterfly come by, and it lit on a flower, and then it lit on a flower, and then it lit on a flower and flew away. And then he saw uh, a, a botanist come by, and he got out his magnifying glass, and he studied each flower, and he's made notes in his notebook, and he'd study flower after flower, and after a while he went away, and then he saw a honeybee come. And the honeybee lit on a flower and drank and drank and drank. Then he went to another flower and he drank and drank and drank. Some people are butterflies. Well, I need to read something. Let me find a verse. I don't know. And they go from verse to verse and conference to conference and church to church and class to class. Getting a little thing here and a little thing there. Some people are like a botanist, man. They are studying it. They know it. But they never drink from it and apply it. And then some people are honeybees. The Bible says in Psalm 19, the words of God are sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. And they dig down deep and they drink and drink and drink and drink until they're full. 